Good morning, Boker Tov, to all. I want to thank our generous sponsors who sponsored the Amuna series for this year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, in memory of our beloved friend, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbard, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvein Nassan, who was a living example of Amuna in every which way. And also this morning, I want to sponsor for this particular class, Shai Mail, in honor of his wife Pesci's birthday, a very, very happy birthday, and many more in good health. Tzayson Shalom. a few people mentioned that uh, they're heading back for some strange reason up north <laughs> after Purim. So a uh, reminder that if you're not with us in person, you can always continue to listen to the class every week in several ways on YU Torah, RabbiFNGoldberg.org, and please God, in the next couple weeks, on a dedicated app for our shiurim that you can listen uh, to our learning together. So, and you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter that has a link to all the shiurim from that week, plus our fun one-minute motivation video, which is always very fun. Wait till you see this week's. It was a lot of fun. Okay, we're continuing this beautiful piece by um, Ravita Mar Schwartz, the author of Belvavi Mishkan Evne. He's been talking about what bitachon really means, following the usage in the Torah of the word betach, Shimon Levi entered the city Betach. They come into the city when they're going to take down the people of Shechem. Last week I had an issue where uh, my little son wasn't defending his sister at school when the other boys in the carpool home were picking on her. And I made a little bit of a mistake because I know he loves Parsha and he loves the Chumash. So I said to him, Shai, what did, what did Shimon and Levi do when, when Shechem was picking on Dina? So he said, they killed them. <laughs> Abba, I should kill them? I said, no, 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 no. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. But my point is, if you got to choose a side, you always have to defend your sibling. Always. Siblings come, family comes before friends. Don't kill anybody. Anyway, but I knew that would speak to him. Hopefully, yeah. Anyway, probably shouldn't post this online. Plausible deniability. So... Because they had stacked the deck in their favor, they had confidence and calmness, and they knew when they entered that city that they were going to be triumphant against, against uh, the people of Shechem. And so too, developed the Bilvavi, we can live with bitachon. Betach means that we go into life in any situation, in any situation in life, with the confidence and the calmness to know that the deck is stacked in our favor, Hashem has our back, everything is for a reason, and that even if it won't be pleasant, painful things happen to, bad, to good people, Bad things don't happen to good people, and even if it will be highly unpleasant, it is not random or chance. Everything is orchestrated for a reason. He further developed the idea that there are two ways of looking at life. We live with an external reality or an internal reality. The external reality is we see all the chaos, we see all the hustle and bustle, we see all that can go wrong, we see all the challenges we have to overcome. And the internal voice in life doesn't see these fragmented, divided, variables and features of life. It sees it all coordinated and organized and orchestrated as coming from the oneness of Hashem. And therefore, when we are able to develop that our own inner voice that tells us that everything is from Hashem, nothing's random or chance, then we can quiet the external outlook and we can turn the volume up on the internal perspective and we can live with a sense of, of calm. So let's continue. We are in the middle of uh, what is the second page in this handout. In other words, you could live your life in which you're constantly facing, in which you're constantly facing and confronting obstacles. You can live your life as if you have to overcome. Everything's in your way. 
The airline's in your way, the red light's in your way. Your boss is in your way, the coronavirus is in your way. The er everything's in your way. You wake up in the morning, everything's in your way. The fatigue is in your way. Before you woke up in the morning, you're already fighting battles. You're fighting about eating the wrong thing at breakfast. You're fighting about getting out of bed. You're fighting about going to work. You're fighting about making that phone call. You're fighting about that interaction. You're fighting about... There's confrontation and conflict all around us. That's hisnagdios. Hisnagdios is negative, opposite, conflict, things around you that you have to overcome, battles that you have to fight. Ulam, kevin shorov b'nei So he said, if you're living the external life, all you see is opposition, conflict, and battle. If you're living that internal life, if you're in touch with your internal soul, that place of calm, that place of trust, that place of knowing Hashem has your back, then all you have is calm. He says the problem is that most people have never heard their inner voice. Most people are entirely unaware of and not in touch with their own neshama, their own neshama. <coughs> you know, everyone asks one another, how you doing? How are you? Every now and then I'll ask people, how's your neshama? And you get all kinds of reactions when you say to someone, how's your neshama? It usually catches people off guard. When you say, how are you? Tired, I'm energized, I'm worried, I'm happy, I'm... All kinds of answers you can get. When you say to someone, how's your neshama? How's your neshama doing? That's not like you're passing them in the hallway question, right? I'm talking about you meet your friend for coffee, and in the conversation you say, how's your neshama? What are the answers you can give to how's your neshama? You can feel on fire, inspired, trusting... You could feel distant and, and, and lethargic and, and a dark place. But you know, many people will say, I don't know, I never really thought about that. Do I have a neshama? Where is the neshama? How do I measure the neshama? How do I measure the neshama? But Peter Drucker, the great management guru, used to say, what gets measured gets managed. What gets measured gets managed. So if you're not measuring your neshama, if you're not measuring your life, right? I, I read an article a couple of years ago about the uh, Fitbit which I guess I was into for about a week. But I wrote an article, someone gave me a Fitbit. That lasted like a week. So people count their steps. What's the value of counting your steps? Because what gets measured gets managed. So if you have this, if you just came back from APAC, you hit your 15,000 every day, I promise you. It's 10,000, whatever that number was. So if you count your steps, then you're gonna have an awareness and a mindfulness and you're going to want to achieve your maximum effort. If, you have no, if you're not measuring what you're doing, so we do that in the area of count our calories and we measure our weight, we measure our steps and we measure our size and we measure our blood pressure and we measure our cholesterol. What are we measuring about our neshama? What are the barometers? What's the thermometer to measure the wellness of our neshama? When you say to someone, how's your neshama? I'll tell you what it is for me. The thermometer of the neshama to me is davening. When you're davening, you feel connected. When you're davening, you walk away feeling transformed. When you're davening, lifts you. When you're davening, you feel like you had a conversation and a rendezvous with the Almighty. When you're davening, it helps you feel unburdened. Mm -hmm. Then your neshama is doing pretty well. And when you're davening, you're like, do I have to daven it? I don't want to daven And I made my way through davening, and I put a check next to davening, but I don't remember saying one word of davening, and I don't really feel connected or opposite anyone, then the neshama needs a little work. So I, now is not the time, although we should dedicate another time, to talking about... Well, I know what the answer is. If you have high blood pressure, you know what you got to do. If you got high cholesterol, we know what you got to do. If you measure your waistline and it's bigger than it was, we know what you got to do. If the scale tells you, then you don't know what you got to do. What do you do when the, your davening thermometer tells you your neshama is not doing too well? What happens? Your anxiety level is high. That's another indication your neshama is not doing too well. 
Not, again, clinically diagnosed anxiety, which needs legitimate intervention and treatment. I'm talking about just general Jewish neurosis anxiety. <laughs> so what do you do? I know that in the health platform, what you need to do, exercise and eating habits and coach and accountability and on and so on. What do you do in the realm of the neshama? What do you do in the realm of the neshama? So he's diagnosing a core problem. If you want to live with calmness and happiness in your life, then you need to listen to your inner voice. You need to not hear the external voice that panics, but you need to turn up the dial on your inner voice that has calm. How do you access that inner voice? You can't wait till the crisis. If you wait till the crisis, it's too late. You need to be in touch with that neshama, that inner voice regularly. You need to learn to have conversations with yourself, not in the like, put you in a mental institute kind, <laughs> but conversations with yourself means when you feel yourself getting nervous and anxious, reminding yourself why you should stay calm. When you feel yourself panicking or worrying, when you feel yourself not trusting, when you feel yourself being a victim of randomness of chance, when you feel yourself becoming helpless and hopeless, or when you want to take a moment to celebrate or to lean in and to have the joy to experience that greatness and to regale and celebrate, to hear that voice, that neshama inside you. In other words, and, and you know, if I had a dollar for every time I use this expression, we, our campus would be, our new campus would be finished, but you're not a body that has a soul, we are a soul that has a body. So isn't it terrible and tragic that we often forfeit and neglect and we're not in touch with the core part of who we are and we define ourselves and invest in pampering what is the secondary part of who we are? You know, it'd be like a person lets themselves go their body physically Right, their blood pressure, their cholesterol, they're clinically obese, they've let themselves go in every which way, but their closet, their wardrobe, ooh, they take care of amazingly. Their clothing is impeccable, and they have the most expensive and the highest uh, quality clothing, and their closet is highly organized. So their body, they let go entirely, right? It's failing them, it's compromised. The body, they neglect and they let go, but ooh, look at my closet, it's amazing. Well, the body, compared to the soul, is like the wardrobe in the closet. We wear it, it enables us to interact with the world, but after 120, we're going to take it off, <laughs> and it's going to go back into a closet. Our wardrobe will be replaced when the fashion changes. Our clothing will wear out. To be overly invested in our wardrobe at the expense of, and while neglecting our health and body, anyone can see would be incredibly foolish. And yet that's what we do. We neglect our soul which is the core part of who we are. It's what always existed and it's what will always exist. And the wardrobe, what we call our body, is what we pamper and indulge in. It's what we take care of. We should take care of it. Should have a nice wardrobe and take care of our clothing and have it be the best quality. But it's secondary, of course, to taking care of our body and our health. And we should take care of our body as the wardrobe of the soul, but it's secondary to asking ourselves, how's your neshama? The wellness, the health, the well-being, the future of our soul is that much more important. So, says Rav Schwartz, the problem is, the reason that we live with this panic and fear, we lack that calmness and trust, is because we're listening to that external fragmented voice that just sees conflict and confrontation and what we have to battle every day, and it is louder, the knob, the volume of it is turned up so much louder than the inner neshama voice that sees the unity of existence that sees Hashem's hand in all that's happening, that knows that nothing is random or chance and everything is for a reason. 
So many will listen to this insight, the Shtikl Teira, and they'll raise their hand and they'll say, Rav Schwartz, it's lovely. It's a nice idea, a great Amuna class. But how am I supposed to live my life that way? How? Where there's no opposition. How do I live my life where there's no conflict? Again, I gave you examples. 20 minutes after you woke up in the morning, you've already made a million decisions and you've faced a thousand conflicts. The coffee maker didn't work. Your children didn't get dressed the way you asked them to get dressed. The thing didn't happen. You got stuck in the red light. There was unexpected traffic. The thing, there's a million things. We face forces against us from the moment we open our eyes. We're fortunate and lucky and should count our blessings if they're as simple as the red light and the traffic and the kids didn't listen. Many people, when they open their eyes in the morning, are facing chronic pain. They're facing mental pain. They're facing illness and treatment. Many people are facing not knowing how they'll pay for dinner that night. There are much, much, much more significant. So from the insignificant and inconsequential to the enormously consequential, who has the luxury of waking up in the morning and saying, I'm greeting the day with no fear and no worry because uh, I don't face any opposition or conflict. It's all good. Who has that luxury? This is the way the world was constructed. This is the way of the world. Who has that luxury? This coronavirus, of which there's a million lessons to derive. I wrote about one of them last week, which is the fact that the whole global world is interconnected, no matter how much we might want to deny that. So one man in a village in China got this coronavirus. A couple weeks later, 44 people in China, and now 100,000 people around the world. So we're all interconnected. And if we cooperate and coordinate, we can eliminate it. Or if we maintain our differences, then it's going to take us all down. And there's an enormous lesson about the notion. It's also true in the opposite direction I wrote, what the butterfly theory, that showed that a, a butterfly can flap its wings in Boca and create a tsunami or a hurricane in, in uh, halfway around the world. That's true physically. It's proven in physics. And Rabbi, Chief Rabbi Sachs talked about the chaos theory of virtue. That the same is true if you flutter your wings of virtue, if you do a chesed, a tiny little chesed can grow and set things in motion that can literally change the world. So that's one lesson of this coronavirus. But there's another lesson of this coronavirus. First of all, it's amazing to me. I was thinking last night as I'm watching all the panic, some of it reasonable and, and caution and, and builds cautiousness. Some of it totally irrational, unreasonable and out of control. But as you watch all that, I was thinking about the Gemara that tells us, Titus HaRasha. You know, we have figures throughout our history who got a name, a title. Yesterday was the Yurt side of Moshe. He's not Moshe. What do we call him always? Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu. Avram? Avinu. Uh, Yosef? Hatzadik, and so on and so forth. So the Gemara Chazal, whenever they refer to the Roman general Titus, Titus, he's called Titus HaRasha. He's the epitome of wickedness. What he did, I won't repeat in front of an Aram Kodesh, Although the Gemara tells us the story that he came into the Heichal, he walked into the Kodesh HaKadot. What he did, he unraveled the Sefer Torah in the holiest place and did the unholiest act and stabbed the parochas and tried to literally kill the Almighty, to kill the Kodesh Baruch, Titus HaRasha. And what did God do? So many lessons in this Gemara and get in the story. Hashem did not publicly take him down because we say the Pasuk every day in Az Yashir, Micha Mocha Boilim Hashem. The Gemara says, read it, not Micha Mocha Boilim, Micha Mocha Beilmim Hashem. Sometimes you show your might and your strength and your greatness, not by how loud you can lash out, but by how quiet you can remain. And the Gemara concludes, 
that a person should always be You should always be somebody who can take the punch, be yelled at, be, be uh, screamed at, and not respond, and never respond. You are greater when you don't respond than when you respond. And we learn that from Hashem. Sometimes you display your greatness not by lashing out or calling a name or bullying, but rather you display your greatness by your ability to walk away, your ability to remain quiet. So what does the Kodesh Baruch do? He remains quiet, except for one thing. He sends a tiny little insect. While Titus, while Titus is sleeping one night, this tiny little insect crawls into Titus's ear, Titus's ear, and from that day forward, Titus has this horrific ringing sensation in his ear. And there was an article in the journal, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, where an author actually argued that the name tinnitus comes from Titus. That illness, tinnitus, the incessant ringing in the ear, the incessant ringing in the ear comes from what Titus suffered. And the Gemara tells us, why did Hashem do that? Because he was telling this great Roman general who thought that he was the, the most powerful man on earth who led an empire, all I need is a yutush, a little insect, a little insect, a little mosquito climbed into your ear, and now you have no peace. He couldn't sleep at night, he couldn't act, he couldn't, he, it literally drove him crazy, and he went around the world, and with his might, and with his power, and with his resources, he couldn't solve it. There was nothing he can do. It rang in his ears incessantly. And the Gemara tells us that when he died, they did an autopsy on his brain. And what began as a tiny mosquito that was feeding off of his brain had grown to this enormous uh, tumor in his brain, this enormous bug. And I was thinking about this with this coronavirus. As powerful as the world thinks it is, and as much as we've moved away from faith in Hashem, we think we control the universe. We think we control everything. And there is an invisible virus which is taking over. And it's an amazing thing to watch you read the news and you listen to the experts and they're all telling us about sterilizing and washing and not going and masks and wear and, okay, there's a little bit of media hype over it, perhaps in an unhealthy way to the extreme. Um, but it's an amazing, this invisible little virus that you can't see in this very powerful world in which we have the technology that we can zoom out to outer space and the satellite can tell me how fast I'm going and where I'm going and help me find my phone and where you are and I can video chat people around the world and, and do 17 people simultaneously. All the technology that we have, which is outstanding, we have this invisible tiny virus that Hashem has sent down to earth and said, okay world, deal with this. Let's see how you deal with it. Cooperate and you can get rid of it. Continue to be divided and something, a tiny little invisible thing with all your technology and medical breakthrough and progress and power and sending man to the moon, it could take all of you, it could take all of you down. So you wake up in the morning and you're reading, you're listening, you're hearing about coronavirus and you could say, I, I can't let my children go to school. I can't leave my house. I need to leave, wear a mask everywhere I go. By the time I woke up this morning, I had an email, Rabbi, you should be discouraging Mishloch Manos this year. Nobody should be out on Purim. Nobody should be delivering to one another. What are we doing about Megillah, Zachor, this, that, and the other. Now again, I want to be very clear, very clear. We have to take it seriously. We sent out an email yesterday with all the precautions we're taking. I'd be very happy if I never had to shake anyone's hand ever again. We, we should be very cautious and precautious. But the experts, like Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt, for example, in Young Israel Woodmere, who's been a really sane voice on this, one of the few, has pointed out that the flu is more contagious and more lethal. Hundred, uh, tens of thousands have died from the flu this flu season, and you don't see this panic or this, or this reaction. What's my point? Why are we talking about this in the Amunish year? This is not Goldberg's take on current events and medical uh, challenges of our day. Why are we talking about this? Because this is exactly what Rav Schwartz is saying. I can live my life with my outer voice, and my outer voice looks at a world and says, panic. Don't go anywhere. 
cancel Purim, stay inside, put a mask on your kids, call off school, and let the world come to a standstill. That's the outer voice that panics, that listens to all the, the chaos, and that taps into all this conflict and wakes up battling whatever is the challenge of the day. Or I could turn down the volume on that and turn down up the volume on my inner voice of my neshama that says, okay, you know what? Use Purell. Don't go to China. Do things that are smart. And then just realize that it's Hashem's running the world. Do what's reasonable. Do what's appropriate. Do what makes sense. Do what's responsible. And then just be calm because it's up to Hashem. And you know what? The same chance is that you're going to get the flu and die from it. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid which we never take the flu seriously enough, but it is a, could be a lethal disease, are the chances of coronavirus. So if you made it through the last 40, 50, 60 winters of your life without panicking over the flu, you can make it through this winter without panicking over coronavirus. Again, be cautious, be reasonable, take the measures you should take, be responsible. But beyond that, listen to that inner voice that says, be calm. Show me the plan in the world, you're doing what's reasonable, and so on. Now the people that will say, it's true, there's nothing in the world that doesn't have conflict, that you don't have to battle. It's a very compelling argument. It's very persuasive to say, how could you live with calm? The world is filled with challenges. And here is an example. A person leaves their home in order to go to the shir that's a little bit far away. On the one hand, the goal is so simple. All you want to do is leave your house and go to the place to hear the shir. That's it. Very simple goal. Get from point A to point B. Nothing too complicated. But we all know how complicated that simple task could be. So let's say you're going from Boca to Miami to hear some outstanding speaker. More like the people of Miami are coming to Boca to hear some outstanding speaker. <laughs> it's a very simple goal. Get from point A to point B, and the point A to point B is not to the moon or to Mars. It's to get from Miami to Boca. So as simple as that goal is, we all know how complicated it can become. Well, there's no public transportation. So there's no bus. There's no train that's going to get you there. So let's say it's in Israel where he's writing. This is more complicated. You've got to transfer buses. You've got to take a train and a bus. You've got to tramp. You've got to figure out how you're going to get there. You're going to have certain dilemmas that you're going to have to face. Moral dilemmas, ethical dilemmas. Do you get up and give the pregnant woman your seat? Should you look in that direction? There's an image that a Ben Torah shouldn't be looking at. Should you, how do you behave here? What do you do there? What's the common, you're going to have dilemmas. This is in addition to the general complications that come up every single time that we travel. You're going to have construction, you're going to have traffic. And you're going to have the problems that come to not only public transportation, but private transportation. What if the air conditioning breaks? What if you run out of gas? What if Waze misdirects you? What if... Anybody can add more and more examples of these complications. Agav, parenthetically, he says, by the way, parenthetically, 
How much conflict and opposition and challenges did we face just publishing this book? The editor and the publisher, and did it come timely, and you need a sponsor, and did it come out, and how was the ink, and how was the font, and how was it? There's nothing. I would challenge you to come up with one thing in life that you can give as an example where you don't face opposition, conflict, struggle that you don't have to overcome. Everything, every aspect of life, sleep, eating, speech, relationships, work, travel, everything in life has conflict. So how can you wake up and live life calm? How could you have that calmness, that serenity, that tranquility, that trust? How can you have that certainty and that confidence when the truth is that every area of life has this complication? Says Rav Schwartz, I want to be very clear. He says, I'm not suggesting that you live in an alternative universe. I'm not suggesting that you deny the reality that is around you and that instead... <coughs> okay, everyone relax. It's just a sneeze. It's a common cold. Just relax. I will purel. So he says, I'm not suggesting that anybody live in the alternative universe or deny reality or pretend that things are not the way that they are. It's not that my internal voice isn't, brings me to an entirely different world. It's not that there's an external world and an internal world, and I can choose which zip code or which address to live in. It's not that there are two competing or conflicting worlds. There's only one world. There's the world of reality. It's not that there are two worlds. There's one world called the world of reality. It's all a question of my perspective, how I look and how I live in that world. When you live life with this perspective externally, superficially, what you see around you is a world of this outer layer feels opposition from all of life's challenges. It sees everything as disparate, separate, apart, not making sense, not coordinated, coming at you from so many different directions. The world is filled with competing interests, competing efforts, competing energies, competing people. My whole world is just so fragmented. You ever feel that way? You're like overwhelmed. My kids, my work, my parents, my family, the weather, the cold, my lack of sleep, the eat, the exit. I can't. There's a million things going on, a million voices, a million influences, a million competing things. And you feel like you're going to crumble. You feel like you're getting crushed. You feel like you're going to collapse. It's coming at you from every different direction. So to get from here and to travel for a simcha to New York, I've got to make the ticket. And I've got, will I have traffic when I get to the airport? And do I get there in time? And do I get through the TSA? And who am I going to be sitting next to? And will the plane get off on time? And when I land, and where will I stay? And what will the weather be? And what's going to happen when my luggage arrive? What's it? There's, there's a million. If you'd actually stop and list out and think about all the things that have to go right and all the moments you're going to have to face, you'd simply collapse. You could never, ever do it. You can never, ever do it. Everything is stopping. Everything is blocking. Everything is coming at you in a coordinated way. But if you quiet that superficial external outer voice, and instead you come with the internal voice, then you'll face this world entirely, entirely differently. The inner layer of the soul 
there's a whole different world you're living in. Not a place of a million variables and a million opponents and opposition, but rather a place that we don't feel in danger whatsoever. To see things the way that they're supposed to be. To see things as being coordinated and organized and orchestrated and choreographed from above. By one, by Hashem, by the Almighty. By the Almighty. The whole world is the will of Hashem. Everything that's happening is for a reason. It's all coordinated and orchestrated, and it's all happening to our benefit. If you open the hood of the car and you look, which most Jews don't know how to do, <laughs> but if you open the hood of the car and you look, you'll say, what in the world is going on here? There's like, I, I, I'm so unimpressive, I can't even name it. There's the engine and the carburetor and the radiator and the, and the starter and the alternator, alternator and where you put the windshield washer fluid and where you put the gas, I don't know. I'm not gonna even try to impress you. You open the hood of the car and there's a million little gadgets and belts and, and things going on. And you look at that and you say, come on. Right, so if somebody from 200 years ago came back to life and looked inside the hood of a car, they'd say, this is never going to work out together. All these parts are going to talk to each other. All these parts are going to create one reality and one result. Can't be. There's a million things that can go wrong. This belt is going in that direction. And that belt's going in that direction. And this thing is healing it, and that thing is cooling it off. And this thing is running this way, and this thing needs the burning through the gas. And this thing is, how could it all happen? How could it all happen? But we know that whoever designed the car did so with a brilliance and an intelligence and a genius and forethought and design. And because there's a design and because there's an originator to it, it's all coordinated in order to bring about one result. And lahavdil, 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 we look at this world that looks at so many moving parts, this belt in this direction, that belt in that direction, this thing's happening, heating, this is cooling, and this is, but it's all echad, yachad, and yuchad. It's all coordinated to bring about a one reality, a one result, a world the way Hashem wants. Kolon Avram, kolon Misham Shem is also tachlis. Even the things that look like they are um, going opposite Hashem's goal or vision are also part of His wisdom. Now, the part that Rav Schwartz is simplifying here, which we're not going to get into today, is how do we reconcile free will and the fact that human beings make choices with the reality that Hashem brings about and designs and orchestrates and choreographs a world the way He wants? That is a very, very, very difficult question. And it's not one that I'm afraid of or shying away from, but it's not what we're going to deal with today. We are simplifying it, admittedly so, to say that we live our lives and we look and we say, Hashem, I have a calm and I have a confidence. I enter the city betach, the way Shimon and Levi did, because I know you have my back. And true on the outside, it looks like everything is failing and falling. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know. I know. I met with somebody this week who had a challenge because something happened at work, which absolutely wasn't his fault. He did nothing wrong, but because he was in charge and nevertheless had a, had a negative consequence for him. And as he went through it, he didn't sleep for two weeks and he felt humiliated mm -hmm. and it was a major challenge and, and created a tremendous problem at work where he lost his title and it was a huge problem, a huge problem. And why was he meeting with me? Because as a result, it set him on the path of looking for a new position. And he has these two incredible options, one better than the other, and was curious for my feedback about which one he should do. 
So we went right to the, where he told me, oh, this happened, so I've been looking, and these two things, and what do you think? And I said, can we just pause for a moment to say that while you went through that, you probably thought your world was coming to an end, right? The sky was falling, it was crashing in on your head, it was the worst moment, it made no sense, it was the end of the world as you knew it. You were ashamed and embarrassed, you were afraid, you were anxious, you were worried, and it's the greatest thing Hashem ever did for you. Because otherwise you would have stayed in that position, less fulfilling, less opportunity. And look now, you have these two choices, one better than the other, about who you can become and writing the next chapter in your life. And that is an example, but we all have examples like this in our lives. Maybe you could argue daily, where the things that seemed that they were going entirely wrong were Hashem's way of organizing a detour to get us to the right destination. So the question is, do you panic? Do you live with that external chitzoni voice and you say oh, this and that and the other thing and look at all these variables and forces that are coming up against me and I'll never make it? That's the chitzon, the superficial external voice, superficial mentality, the external layer of the soul that's living in a world that's fragmented and divided and chaotic. Or do you live with the internal voice, the internal soul, where everything is coordinated, it's collaborating, there's a synergy, it's all coming from a Kodesh Baruch who's got a plan. Who's got a plan? Even the things that look like they're over a ritzono, even the things that look like they are opposite Hashem's will. Why are you having this conflict at work? Why are you going through this health crisis, which in the end got you to start taking care of yourself, which made was the best day of your life? And so on and so forth. We have to look at our whole life, all of the things that we do and all the things that are done to us, all of our circumstance and everything that's going on. And we have to choose. Know that you can choose. You can choose how to live your life. I'll give you a little spoiler to my one minute motivation video this week. I sat in a cockpit on a plane and did the video and said you could either be the pilot or the passenger of your life. If you're the passenger in your life, you're just being driven or flown to wherever the pilot takes you. And you are passive and fatalistic and you have forfeiting, conceding your control and you're just the passenger in the back. Or you can be the pilot and grab the controls and you can determine the trajectory and you can determine the path and you can determine the destination. The choice is ours. So the same is true with how we lead our, leave our lives, lead our lives. I can be the passenger and just say, well, woe is me, and I'm a, what can I do? I'm afraid, what can I do? I'm anxious, what can I do? I'm overwhelmed, what can I do? I have to face all these things. That's being a passenger, a passive passenger. If you're gonna be the pilot of your life, you say, you know what? I need to quiet that voice, turn down that volume, and raise the volume of my inner voice of my soul, of the tranquil voice, the voice of calm, the voice of confidence, the voice that knows I have to do what I have to do today. I'm not suggesting that if you tap into your inner voice, you'll never have to go through challenges. To be alive, to be breathing is to have to go through challenges. We just pray that they're inconsequential and insignificant. But to be alive and to be breathing is to be going through challenges. But it's up to us to pilot our lives and to choose with which perspective we're going to see. Am I wearing the sunglasses or the clear glasses? Am I watching in high definition, in black and white or in color? We choose perspective in life. We choose perspective. I can live with the external perspective. There's a million moving parts. They're uncoordinated, they're divided, and they're all coming at me, and I don't have what it takes to face them all. Or I can live with the inner voice that says that everything is from Hashem, and therefore, yachad um yuchad. It's all yechida. It's all coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's oneness, and it's all here to serve that purpose. 
It's a question of how I live and how I view my world, and nothing will help you better choose to see the world more correctly than a hashkacha pratis WhatsApp group, a journal, hashkacha pratis journal, to write down. I tell you, our family one that I quote from every single week, not to boast, but to try to motivate and inspire, we've now started to not only have my, our kids post their hashkacha pratis moments, we get guest appearances from their friends <laughs> who will... All of a sudden, you'll press play and you'll have one of the friends say, Goldbergs, listen to this. Because in other words, their friends know that, oh, their friend's family has this group where you see things. And so one of our daughters was at APAC with her classmates and there were two voice notes this week of Hashkacha Pratis moments. One of her friends lost her phone yesterday and a man had found the phone and was willing to meet her and get it back to her. And why was he willing to do it? Because he had lost his phone once so he knew what it meant when he found a phone to try to find its owner. And it was Hashkacha Pratis that it was that man who found her phone because otherwise she never would have had her phone. These girls ramble, they're very long voice notes, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> on the Hashkacha Pratis WhatsApp group, but guest appearances from others. And it, maybe we should make a collective one and we all leave our messages of the little things that don't have to be so private with one another. Because the more that you, the more that you speak and the more you tell the story of seeing Hashem in your life, the more you're going to see Hashem in your life. Vayiru ha'am vayaminu b'ashem of Moshe Avdo. Vayiru, first you have to see him, and then vayaminu. So when you see him everywhere and in everything, when you see that it's all coordinated and it's by design, when you listen to that inner voice and you have that sense of common confidence, the vayiru, when you see him everywhere, then you're vayaminu. Then you're able to live with that sense of emuna, that sense of trust. I have emuna because I speak about him. He I could be fragmented, I could be anxious, I could be worried, I could become paralyzed, debilitated, but I can live with calm. The more righteous and the holier and the bigger people that we knew lived with a calm. They didn't just live with a calm when everything went right, they lived with that calm when everything was going wrong. Because when everything is going wrong, you know that there's a higher reason, then you're able to live with that calm when it all comes from somewhere. Special people who had that amuna even at the end of their life, and it wasn't so someone could write a book about them or post a blog about them or tell a story about them at their, at their hesped. It was because they were so righteous that they were able to tap into that inner voice. And when the people around them were falling apart, not that they were, if people around them were falling apart by saying, look at these bad news and look at this bad challenge and look at this bad moment, they said, no, what are you talking about? There's a reason, there's a purpose. Betach. I'm calm and I'm confident because I'm listening to my internal soul. I know that this world is a mirage, it's an illusion, that everything is really from above and it's all coming from Him. Mashalachor nirakis nagdos, what looks like opposition, minios, what looks like it is blocking us, ikuvim, obstacles, hagbalos, boundaries, aim bekach mishum melcham There is no, there's no fight, there's no battle here. Eloheim chalaka me'etzem e'yos ha'davar atzmo. This is all part of how God wrote it up. This is all part of how He designed it. See them as, as friends, not adversaries. These factors, these features, are all in our favor. They're not opposite us. And we'll continue next time, what He starts out with. We'll start with next time. Start next time, I'm gonna make an arrow, 
is this notion that Hashem created His world and He turned to the world and He said, Die. I'm going to give you a Pesach for it next time, for Dayenu. Hashem looked at the world and He said, Die. And we have to look at our world of fear and anxiousness and say, Die. It's enough. It's enough. We're sick and tired of being the passenger. We're going to be the pilots of our own lives. We're sick and tired of blaming others or living in fear. We're going to put on the glasses that enable us to look at the life in the world with a sense of calm. Have a great day, everybody.